0: L.A.S. Welcome to The Dangerous Leader, where we invite leaders to share their best experiences thriving in a world that expects them to conform so that you can thrive, too. Hey there. I am Dr. Jennifer Murphy, soon to be Smith, but we'll get into that in a later episode. Here along with Alex Schulte in the producer box. Now, I am the creator of the Art of Living Dangerously leadership model, and as such, I love to solve the world's problems. Hey, Alex, if there was one world problem that you could solve, what would it be? Uh, hunger. Hunger, I love it. And that was that same kind of mindset that our guest today had, was he saw a problem, he experienced a problem, and he went in to try to help solve it. So today I've got Aaron Horn on the show, who is among many, many roles, the president of Beat Cancer Today, a nonprofit that is focused on beating childhood cancer. Now, Aaron's one of those people you would never know has so much going on, like as he does. It's kind of insane. But today we're going to talk about how he quote unquote stumbled into founding beat cancer today and has allowed eli's army to continue to march forward in concert with that and we talk about leadership dad jokes and his passion for banning railroad track photos with that i bring you the latest episode of the dangerous leader podcast and my guest aaron horn and i'm sure you will chug on over to your favorite railroad track to save lives after listening today too
1: History, 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 song, song, punishment. punishment.
0: punishment. punishment.
1: punishment. <coughs> All of this is on Historically Inaccurate with me, Jake Trumper. And me, Alex Schulte. Learn about history in a fun and unique way with our weekly podcast, Historically Historically Inaccurate. Inaccurate. Each week we put a spotlight on a moment in history. And if you were like me in school who liked history but had trouble paying attention in class, don't worry. We're going to present this knowledge in an easily digestible way. Like when you put medicine in peanut butter for your dog. Or like when you put medicine in your peanut butter for me. Historically Inaccurate is produced and distributed by the LAS Media Network right here in cedar rapids iowa to learn more about this head on over to lasmedianetwork.com slash historically inaccurate and if you want access to the exclusive historically inaccurate after dark consider subscribing to las plus head on over to lasmedianetwork.com slash plus to get started if you thought historically inaccurate couldn't get any crazier just wait until you're learning about history in the dark yeah flashlights historically, historically inaccurate, inaccurate.
0: well thank you Aaron for being here today I am excited um, so for those of you that don't know Aaron is currently the director of or executive director at New he used to be my boss and I have the funniest story to tell about that because we were I don't know if you can remember this Aaron oh. but we were at entrefest just this past year and we're at the bar doing one of the um, kind of the hosted meet and greet networking kind of things and for whatever reason, like, Aaron's, like, I said something, and some sort of profanity flew out of my mouth. And I turned around, and Aaron's standing there, and I was like, oh, sorry. And then I'm like, why am I apologizing to you? Like, Aaron is the last boss that is going to give a crap if I say shit or fuck or whatever is coming out of my mouth, right? And so it was just one of those things, and I was like, it was one of those old school programming, right? Yeah. Like, it's crazy how just weird habits or patterns will pop up in these crazy moments, but um, I do have to tell you, I loved working for you. I think you're a fantastic leader, and I want to get into some of that. However, we're really not going to focus on Nuboco so much today because you have this whole other world that you live and operate in, and so tell me about how that world formed.
1: Yeah, sure. Sure so um i often get this question uh because of all these bracelets that i wear Mm -hmm. so that's usually the entry point for someone that i'm just meeting about what's with all the bracelets yeah um so i have a lot of different bracelets that i wear um, that all have just different kids names on it Um, these are kids that we met during our journey with uh, my oldest son eli when he was diagnosed with cancer Mm -hmm. so eli was about three and a half years old Um, at the time we lived in ames iowa and was having a lot of problems, um, kind of uh, stomach issues and things like that. So just kept going back to the doctor. Hey, what's mm-hmm. going on? Hey, what's going on? And finally, one morning, he he couldn't walk. And I was like, okay, this is mm-hmm. serious. So I called the pediatrician to his benefit. Like I, I called him at like seven in the morning, said, I'm bringing him in and I'm not leaving until we got answers. He goes, absolutely. I'll come open the doors. So Um, Went into Mary Greeley and he's like, let's just do some scans. So did some scans and he came back. He's like, oh, Aaron, he's like, we have a massive tumor. He's like, it's up in his chest. It's down in his pelvis. It's it's huge. You have to get to Iowa City today. And he's like, I can either get you an ambulance or you can just go. I said, we're getting in the car. So jumped in the car, drove to Iowa City, um, Stead Family Children's Hospital. We were there for about 32 days straight, um, where from as soon as we entered and they were waiting for us, let's get the biopsy, let's figure out what this is. Um, So they diagnosed him stage four um, neuroblastoma cancer, pretty rare starts in the adrenal gland, um, and so they're like immediately, boom, here's a protocol we're going to get started, chemo, you know, all the things. Mm-hmm. So as you do, and this is 2007, Yeah. so as you do, you jump on Google and then you figure <laughs> out, oh, should not have done that. Yes. Um, but it was good because uh, we figured out kind of the leading research in neuroblastoma in the world was actually in New York City. Mm-hmm. So Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center was doing antibody treatment for neuroblastoma. And so after about 30 days of doing chemo and things like that, Iowa kind of brought up the the idea of at least going out there for a consult. And then um, their surgeon had had only done a couple neuroblastoma surgeries at the University mm-hmm. of Iowa at the time, uh, whereas the one in New York did five a week. Yeah. And so they were totally understanding, like, yep, that makes sense. No problem. So we were specifically going out to New York for the surgery. So. Did that, had a 14 and a half hour surgery where they're basically just peeling off every little bit that they can after the chemo had shrunk it down. Um, And then the recovery was so long that they said, hey, let's do another round of chemo here. Mm -hmm. So we started doing some of that. Then we came back to Iowa to continue treatment. And we eventually got to this spot where Iowa said, okay, are you going to do New York treatment or are you going to do Iowa treatment? So you kind of got to make a decision because we would do something different. And so we're like, all right, let's 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 go to New York. So basically packed up, went out to New York, stayed there for one year straight, basically where yeah. we were doing 3F8 antibody treatments. Um, that actually cleared the cancer. Uh, so yeah. all of the chemo and radiation and antibody treatments – cleared Eli he had to keep going back uh, every month every other month for more just to make sure it caught anything that was microscopic in there and essentially how it works is it highlights the neuroblastoma cell, so your own body attacks it mm-hmm. so you bump up your white blood cells you put this on there uh, or you, you give this medicine so that it highlights the neuroblastoma your body attacks it clears it up yeah. um, so fast forward he's able to kind of go back to New York and, and go through the treatment come back go to school go back to New York mm-hmm. treatment come back go to school mm-hmm. So we did that for a while, um, and then just a regular blood work that got sent to Mayo Clinic, actually, because we could do blood work in Des Moines. We could do blood work in Ames. You know, sure. We didn't have to go to New York for everything. Um, and one of those normal blood work checks said, mm, something's not right here. Mm-hmm. So looked at it, and it was leukemia, which uh, ironically is a known side effect of chemo is it can give you cancer. Yes. So uh, mm-hmm. AML, the really the treatment option for that was um, a, a transplant, complete transplant. And since New York had done so much of his treatment, we could have certainly done a transplant here in Iowa, but we thought we just want to be back with those doctors that have worked with him for so many years. So went back out there at the end of 2011, more chemo, prep for transplant, did the transplant, and then he didn't make it through the transplant process. Mm -hmm. So he passed away in January of 2012.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So all of that is going on. Yeah. You are all over the place geographically. I imagine you're all over the place emotionally.
1: Yeah, of course. Uh,
0: so tell me about how did your family ride this out? How did you and your family? Because you had a, did you have other children at the time?
1: So um, my wife at the time um, was pregnant with Isaiah, yeah. um, my other son. Uh, when when this all started happening
0: right so
1: isaiah actually grew up his very first year he was two weeks old when we went out to the Ronald mcdonald house in new york <laughs> and we didn't come back for that first stint until he was one yeah so he like <laughs> celebrated his first birthday uh in new york so uh very much they called him the Ronald mcdonald house baby because uh, yeah. he was passed around and you know running around <laughs> with all the kids it's whole um, new meaning
0: to it takes a village right? yeah for sure yeah.
1: so um so you know, very much. That was all. That was all going on. Um, and then, um, just from, from. Well, sorry. What was what's the (laughs) I was saying what was your
0: what was going on with your family what was going on with you you know during that time yeah Mm -hmm. so
1: I had a full-time job uh obviously and so I was um heading up an IT group uh for a bioag company in Ames um that and again this is 2007 so very Mm -hmm. fortunate to have you know a company that like fully embrace me being able to travel or work remotely or do those kind of things, which, again, I mean, that was a yeah. while ago and we were Super still – Super
0: uncommon at yeah, that time. Em- embracing yeah, embracing that.
1: Also had an incredible team that just yeah. said, we got it. Like, we'll yeah. take care of stuff. We'll involve you if we need to. Otherwise, do your yeah. thing. And we had Wi-Fi at the Ronald McDonald House and we had mm-hmm. Wi-Fi at the hospital. So there was, And I wasn't the only one. There were a lot of parents that while their kids are playing in the playroom, they're on their laptops, mm-hmm. like, just trying to get work done. And so I was definitely doing that. And that allowed me to not have to come back to Ames all the time and to be able to truly be there for a year working remotely while still being able to, you know, make all the appointments and and all that stuff. So um, I saw so many parents that that wasn't necessarily the case a lot of single parents because like one one had to stay back and you know with other siblings and kids and keep things going and and show up to work every day and then you know one parent could be there with their kids so um just a lot of that going on for sure in New York
0: yeah wow yeah so you're you're working through this you're doing you're clearly putting everything into let's help this child thrive and it doesn't work out yeah what happened then where yeah. did where did you go mentally, emotionally? Where'd your family go? Where'd your what what'd you do with that energy that just balls up at that point in time?
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I would say what what I did or what what happens there is is you know, not necessarily the right answer because mm-hmm. I've also seen you know other other ways to handle that sure. that I don't think is right or wrong. So, right. what I'm saying is, you know, I dove in on um, this thing beat cancer today, which yeah. is the the nonprofit that we had started. Um, I have seen other people say, I just I have to get away from all of this and like I just d- just can't be a part of my life anymore because it's too hard. That makes and sense. I, yep, yeah. and that totally makes sense to me as well. Uh, but for me personally, it was more. Let's dive in. Let's make sure that, you know, we're doing everything we can to help, you know, to help the other kids that are either going to be or are diagnosed. There's still, you know, treatments and research to be done. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's let's help fund that and just kind of all in on on that.
0: Mm -hmm. So how did you do that? I mean, you clearly you're motivated by the grief, by the process that you went through, by the things that you observed. Did you know how to start doing that? (laughs) And and I'm kind of asking because that's, you know, a lot of people will have the desire, but to actually put the effort into figuring it out is a whole nother layer of effort. Yeah,
1: I see this a lot. So like my story is more of a stumble into type situation, whereas (laughs) I do see a lot of families that and here's the thing with someone who loses a child, their biggest fear is that that kid will be forgotten. Yeah. And so you see so many foundations and nonprofits and things started in the name of that kid. Right. Because that is one way that these parents can say, okay. No one's gonna forget the name of my kid because it's part of the foundation. Mm-hmm. We're doing all this work, um, and their their name and their memory is going to live on. And so I see that time and time again. I even had a conversation with a very large childhood cancer research um, organization that was kind of saying, "I wish everybody would just support our organization that we're doing because uh, we're doing all this great work." But everybody's scattered, and we've got all these different foundations and all these. And it was it was me literally looking at that CEO and saying do you know why? Like, do you know why there's all these different foundations? Like, I don't want you to lose sight of the fact that like these were kids that the parents are afraid they're going to be forgotten. That is why. Mm -hmm. So partner with them, like let them have these foundations that raise the money and then give it to you for all the amazing work that you're doing. But please don't try to like squash the number of foundations that are popping up. They're popping up for a reason. On our side, um, we had already kind of started something back in 2009. Um, and so I, you know, we have a group that we call Eli's Army. And I, my dad yeah. was always asking me, Are you going to make an Eli's Army foundation or whatever? I'm like, yeah. well, I don't think we need to because we did this thing in 2009 called Beat Cancer. Where we literally just put the words "beat cancer" on shirts, and of course in Iowa we don't have professional sports, so it's all about the college teams, <laughs> and the biggest rivalry is yeah. Iowa State versus Iowa, right? Yeah. Cyclones and Hawkeyes, and so we just started doing beat cancer shirts in cardinal and gold and black and gold, and made it a competitive thing. We got licensing from the universities to put the the tiger hawk on it and the cyclone, uh, you know, logo on it, and they sold like crazy, and we're like, oh, we're onto something, mm-hmm. and this was literally just three or four. You know, sets of parents that said, we just want to give back to the organizations that have supported us because Children's Cancer Connection has done some amazing things for us. University of Iowa Dance Marathon has done incredible stuff for us. And the most impactful thing that hit us was finding out that only 4% of the National Cancer Institute research uh, budget goes to childhood cancer specifically. So we got 96% of that budget going to adult cancers and 4% going (laughs) to kids. And we're like... Obviously, we're biased, but that is not enough. Right. So, you know, childhood cancer research is a really big deal for us. So how do we kind of give back to those organizations? We sell these shirts. We're like, oh, this is actually a thing. (laughs) Um, So we became an official 501c3 in 2012. And it has just been, ever since then, 100% volunteer run, Mm -hmm. selling shirts and doing fundraisers to, Mm -hmm. to raise money for those
0: organizations. Yeah. Yeah, so you—I mean—you don't have a building, you don't have an office, you don't have a paid staff that nope. is doing any of this. So when we're when anybody is donating to this or supporting any kind of fundraiser you're doing, it's going right back into that research. Yep, right? exactly.
1: The research and the family support programs that yeah. that like Child um, Children's Cancer Connection runs. Sure. And it's, it's very much Iowa-focused, although we have done some projects. We did one project in Missouri. Yeah. Um, and if we do something that's kind of outside of Iowa, we find a local childhood cancer organization that we can partner with and make sure the funding is going to them locally.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, but Eli wasn't the only one in your family then that was impacted by cancer, right? Right. Yeah. So walk me down that. (laughs) So the rest of the story, uh,
1: this is definitely a a family affair. So when Eli was in treatment in New York, uh, Mm -hmm. we had heard that there was um, another family there that was from Iowa. And so we're like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, we got to find them. And so uh, that was Dakota and she was fighting neuroblastoma cancer Mm. and she was um, like a year and a half younger than, than Eli. So they were similar Mm. age and they just became really fast friends. Mm. So every time we were in New York is Dakota here, Uh, (laughs) you know, so they would, they would play together uh, all day. And then, um, so that, that's basically, that was kind of the routine. We get to New York, figure out if, if Dakota's there and uh, that, that was who, you know, Eli was going to play with uh, the whole time we were there. Um, so then, fast forward 2012, Eli passed away. Uh, and then Dakota's mom and I end up getting married. <laughs> and so, a uh, couple of years later. Yeah. Um, and so now Dakota is my stepdaughter. Yeah. And she beat neuroblastoma. She's been off treatment now for quite a few years. Yeah. And she is a junior at Prairie High School yeah. and she's doing great. And she very much embraces and loves all the things that we're doing with mm-hmm. beat cancer. So, anytime we're doing an event, she's like, I, she doesn't even ask if she can help she tells me she's doing stuff and <laughs> she tells me what she's going to do yes. so we just did a you know we just did a, um, a fundraiser with the, um, the colonels the local baseball team right. and she's like I'm selling the t-shirts at the booth and I'm like oh okay yeah and sure enough like she set it all up I didn't have to do a thing and she just ran that whole thing and yeah. sold you know, about a thousand dollars worth of t-shirts so Love it. yeah she's yeah. she's all in
0: yeah good for her and that's yeah. kind of give her a sense of um, <clears throat> ownership's not really the word I'm looking for but just like that contribution, mm-hmm. you know, at her level where she was personally impacted, you know, in a in a different way than anybody who was attached to the situation was where she's like, I'm making a difference now because I've been there. I want <laughs> I don't want this to happen to someone else. Yeah, you know, that sense of of just extreme um understanding and empathy
1: yeah That's huge anytime there's like a, a school project about like you're gonna have to give a, um, a public speech about a certain topic or do a research on a specific topic like it's pretty easy for her she's like I'm doing childhood cancer yeah. <laughs> and so you know like it's it's a it's an important thing for her to be able to share kind of yeah. her connection with it and her story but then also yeah. like she sees how important it is to like yeah. keep research dollars going and yeah. you know to be able to prevent this or be able to cure this for other kids at this impact so it's been pretty awesome to see her pick that up do
0: you see this influencing where she kind of heads in life
1: I mean, she's already talking about she's thinking about nursing and, yeah. you know, like she was originally talking about like child life and, you know, yeah. all those things like people who directly impacted her in her life. And she saw yeah. how important that was. Like you can tell it's already like starting to shape her thoughts about her future.
0: Yeah. And that's it's that's so interesting with the, just the way that I think about leadership and I think about just our philosophy of life. I'm always I always go back to the idea of the Fibonacci sequence where like we are the sun, and the way I couch it, I, I take some um Creative license with it (laughs) we are the sum of our previous experiences and so everything that's happened to us kind of brings us to where we are today and then influences the way we make decisions for our future and so that to me is, is such a clear example of that happening in her world yeah for sure yeah so you have this foundation you're running but you're also affiliated with another um, organization out in New York, still, right? You still maintain those yeah. connections. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: So, I get to serve as a board chair for Candlelighters New York City. And mm-hmm. Candlelighters New York City essentially is, you know, we've got all of these uh, kids coming from all over the world to yeah. come to memorials. Um, Sloan can, can, oh, MSKCC, I just have to say <laughs> it that way. It's so much easier. Uh, <laughs> so, they're coming to Sloan um, from all over the world and they come into New York City. And of course, there's ones like uh, us that was, you know, uh, lived in a middle of a cornfield on a gravel road <laughs> in iowa and now i'm in new york city um, and there's people new who york come city. from new york city what was that commercial yeah Salsa, the, the right? picasso yeah, yeah. The el, Salsa. Paso, yeah right? el paso yeah right? that's yep. it that's it <laughs> uh so uh. there's people like that times like the Ronald mcdonald house for example holds 93 families so yeah. 93 families from all over the world coming and they're out of place and so Um, Candlelighters really just embraces, hey, you're in New York. What can we do for you? Do you Mm -hmm. need strollers? Do you need pillows? Do you need blankets? Do you need, you know, what do you need? And most certainly, are you having a birthday? You need a party. Like we're going to do a real party and we're going to yeah. go to, you know, uh, Toys R Us or, you yeah. know, F.A.O. Schwartz or whatever yeah. and have a big party for you. Love it. Like that's the kind of stuff. Um, or even just, hey, do the moms need to get away and have a glass of wine or let's get some babysitting to, to watch the kids and play with the kids while the moms, um, you know, just kind of go talk with each other so just so many different things that candlelighters provides for those families that are um, in town whether it be you know just for an extended time like we were or whether they're just in for you know, a checkup. I think that's one of the cool things is when these families have to come back every year for a checkup and they get to reconnect, even if they're only in town for two days or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and so even though I'm in Iowa, I'm still able to, to work with that organization. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. It's very, very similar. It's got one paid staff and then a bunch of volunteers, um, that are all just, you know, impacting literally hundreds of kids that are coming into New York city for treatment.
0: It just reminds me of that, like the research around well-being, and we talk, and the research around well-being talks about that social support system. Mm. And so, when you're in a situation where, like, well-being is not like <laughs> you're there because it's not good well-being, like you're not on that positive side of that. And it sounds to me like what they're doing is creating those opportunities for that not to have to go as dark as it could. Mm. Yeah. You know, for and I love I love that imagery of the candlelighters. I like think the first time I saw you mention mm. that on social media, I was like, God, what a great name, yeah, yeah, for, for an sure. organization like this. But just that idea that we, to your point, you've got maybe 93 families from 93 different places, but now you're going to create a community. Mm-hmm. And it's not just because you're in the same house. It's because someone is helping you to create that community to be supported, which I, my, you know, the research says that makes a tough situation easier. It sounds like experientially mm-hmm. it makes a tough situation yeah. easier as well.
1: Well, there's so many opportunities, uh, even in New York too, that it it was interesting to watch other families. So for whatever reason, when we got to New York, I'm like, we're, we're we're living life right so Mm -hmm. we would literally uh and even before we even knew better we would take a a wheelchair from the hospital and like literally get on a subway to go like to the zoo or something you know and got so many weird looks pushing (laughs) a little kid in this big wheelchair what are you doing uh you know but so that was my mentality early on was like we got to keep doing stuff we got to keep you know living essentially go to the museum like take advantage of all the stuff that's here um and so that's one of the things that for those that don't know how to do that when they're in a scary big city like new york um how do we introduce them to hey we got some free yankees tickets you should go here's how you do it here's how you take the subway or uh, a lot of times um nypd is so awesome and they'll uh they'll partner with candlelighters often on oh you need a uh New York city police van to transport a bunch of kids to a Yankees game. Absolutely. We'll do that. So just stuff like that, that happens all the time and it just gives them a really cool experience. And hopefully, you know, when they leave New York and everything is great, they're thinking Mm -hmm. back on all those really fun experiences they had and how they felt supported and in that community, as opposed to remembering all the, the pokes and the needles in the hospital and all that.
0: Yeah. So you just touched on it. Like your mindset is in this process but um, we also touched on like how hard that was to have Eli's death happen. How did you, how did you maintain your own emotional, intellectual be- well being through all of this? What were the things that you relied on to keep yourself moving forward as a father? Who is pro- I'm guessing I, I know I would feel powerless in that situation. Yeah. I remember that sense when my son was in the hospital just as a preemie without any complications. That mm-hmm. sense of oh my like literally relying on other people to do the right thing right now and me to know what questions to ask. How did you maintain your own sense of of, of presence and well-being for you?
1: I think it was... probably mostly focusing in on the things that I could control. Sure. So some of those things were decision-making about, you know, I was obviously the best advocate for Eli and what he needed. Um, so making sure that I was focused on that, doing the research, like, I you know, joked about getting on Google's a bad <laughs> thing, but it was actually a good thing. Like figuring out what my options were, uh, you know, for Eli. And then the, you know, the, the, the social well, uh, mental well-being and things like that of keeping things normal. I, I often did get teased about being uh, sometimes hard on Eli. Like, you know, even in the hospital, if he's acting out or whatever, like I cracked down on it because I'm like, no, you don't get a pass just because you're going through this. I understand it stinks, but you like <laughs> you still have to be a good human. Right. <laughs> so we're still going to parent you uh, even even in this situation. But focusing on the things that I could control or that I could help with, because you're right. So much of it was out of my control that I couldn't do anything about. So there's really no point on focusing on that or just lamenting over that, uh, you know, when you can actually turn your focus on something that you can do, and I think part of the beat cancer sp- story is that is something you can do. So, um, what can I do to help? You know, either these organizations or for other families that are going to follow in these footsteps. And unfortunately, what can we do to make sure that they have, you know, uh, ultimately a better outcome?
0: Yeah. Was that a practice you had before you went into that situation, or do you think that really developed while you were in that situation as a, as almost a coping mechanism that became a positive practice? Hmm. That's a
1: good question. I don't know if I've ever <clears throat> thought about that before. I think, um, you know, maybe, maybe some of that foundation was, was in me somewhere that I never had to really, like, <laughs> execute before. Uh, but I very much went into, like, fix this mode. And maybe that is a part of just um, how I've always, I guess, kind of been. So when presented with a challenge... What do we need to do to fix this problem, right? Mm-hmm. And so this was obviously a challenge of a whole different, you know, level. Yeah. Um, but it's still, like, this is this is a problem I'm very highly motivated to solve and fix and work towards. So I'm going to put everything into that. So mm-hmm. where it does get challenging is when you're like, yeah, but you still got work stuff going on, right? Um, so how do I make sure that everything is still going okay, like, with work, and then I can put the time in? But if ever there is a decision between you got to do this uh, for Eli and his treatment or work. Work, everyone understood where I was going to default to, right? right. So it's it's Eli first and, and getting through this first, and then again having an amazing team that can pick up anything that you know, any balls that get dropped or anything like that. I, t- I just didn't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that mentality of uh, let's let's hit it head on and let's figure out how to fix this problem was was probably always always there. I just never had to apply it to something so personal before. Right? Yeah.
0: And it's interesting, I just having worked for you and around you a little bit, I can see where that attitude plays in the workplace, too. Yeah. Like, you are very good at, hey, here's what needs to happen, and then letting people go do it while you focus on the thing that is most important for you to be focusing on. Yeah. And, you know, I've watched you, you know, go on vacation or take days off or head out to New York to do something with candle lighters, and you're just like, hey, team, I'm out. Work it. You yep. know, here's what needs to happen. I'll be available then. But, like, you... I think that practice that maybe maybe you really established while you were in that situation, I can see where that has trickled in to the way that hmm. you lead others today at New So yeah. it, that's interesting. And I, I also think the relationship that you have with the Beat Cancer team, that kind of non-hierarchical, we're gonna put this rigid structure and all this infrastructure in place plays really well for some of the, you know, the work that Nubeco does, and just the way that I mean, you've got a whole passel of kids these days, <laughs> you've got, yeah. you know, you're running this foundation. You're still with candlelighters. You're running Nubo Co. Your kids want your space and time. Mm. Your wife wants your space and time. You watch football. You know, you do the things. It's a lot and I you know there's times I will see you out doing things and I'm like, wait I just saw him at nuboko like an hour ago <laughs> and now he's at the sunflower patch what what is happening like yeah. how is he making all of this work for him and I've never I'm not saying you never complain. I've never heard you like get irritable or, or bitchy about that quite frankly. Yeah. So to me what that says is you, what I interpret that as and what I admire in that is the ability to really get, be very clear on what's most important right now,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that, that sense. And that is something I personally have struggled with off and on multiple times throughout my life of just getting entirely too freaking busy and losing sight. And mm-hmm. then I hear something from my son like, God, mom, you're always on the computer. Or, you're always taking a call or you're always like, can we just watch a show? Can you put your phone down? You know?'" And I'm mm-hmm. like, canary in the coal mine. Yeah, you know I'm, I'm losing sight of what's most important right now so what's your yeah. canaries in the coal mine how do you tell when you're getting out of alignment with that stuff
1: yeah I mean I think sometimes kids can be good for that too like mm-hmm. uh, man was it, a couple of days ago Mike is like uh, dad stop looking at your phone Look at me. <laughs> and it was very much like a four year old thing to say. And I'm right. like, you're right, buddy. Like, I should be looking at you. Yep. I should be watching you throw that ball. Um, so, you know, sometimes that'll that'll keep you in check. But I think one of the biggest things I learned through, you know, all the th- uh, everything that we went through with Eli and all of that was just to not sweat the small stuff. Right. And I, I could so easily get bogged down by, you know, things that just don't matter. And so when you go through something like that, it it completely paints reality differently as far as, like, what actually matters, Mm. right? And so, you know, I I don't even remember where I heard this, but, you know, heard someone talk about how, you know, somebody gets so upset because there's muddy footprints in the kitchen, uh, (laughs) you know, because someone, you know, (laughs) tracked mud in. That would be
0: me. (laughs) uh,
1: Compared to someone who lost their kid and they don't have, you know, they they don't have muddy footprints for Mm. that reason. That's all. You know, it's just like this. Kind of brings you back down to, you know, reality and what you should be thankful for and what you should be upset about and what you shouldn't be upset about. Now, I'm not saying I don't get upset about muddy footprints (laughs) because I do. Uh, But, you know, it is one of those kind of reality check things, too. It's like, does that really matter? Honestly, does it really matter? And I think you can apply that in work. You can get so caught up in drama or in things that mm-hmm. truly just don't matter mm-hmm. it's like let's keep looking at big picture let's figure out can we move past this is this really matter is this a big deal or you know can we can we fix this so yeah, yeah, yeah. I think for me that was one thing I probably didn't have that great of a concept of um you know not, not sweating the small stuff until this happened. And then it very much became, and sometimes I do still sweat the small stuff, but it very much like I'm much quicker to come back to like, this doesn't really matter.
0: Right. Right. And I think that is such a good perspective because everybody's like, whatever that catalyst is in anybody's life can be different. It doesn't have to be the death of a child or someone in your family. It could be a car accident. It could be tripping on the sidewalk in front of a group of people there's a million and one things that that could be for people that really raises that awareness and i think so often we miss those opportunities because we let fear or embarrassment or shame or something get in the way of that and we allow ourselves to go down a path of i wish i could have prevented versus what am i going to do with this experience what am i where am i taking this and you definitely chose to take that. I'm, you know, I'm digging in. I'm going to go do something with it. This mm-hmm. is important to me, and it's made an impact. You know, so Beat Cancer has been in, in business, quote unquote, officially for ten years, um, unofficially th- thirteen. Mm-hmm. As am I, <laughs> yep. I should not do public math. We mm-hmm. all know this. I don't know why I try. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, so thirteen years. Um, what's the impact that you hope this organization makes?
1: Mm. Yeah, so um, I guess from 2009 to 2021. Um, so to to show you how this kind of works, we do fundraising all year, and at the end of the year, just take everything that we've raised, and we divvy it up among those, um, you know, those other organizations that we we want to support, as well as we do our own scholarship. So we do have a scholarship for um, both for kids who have beat cancer, um, so survivors, as well as siblings of kids who fought cancer, whether they're survivors or not. Um, That want to go on to post-secondary education because obviously it is a huge financial hit on families and it's not just, you know, the kids fighting cancer, it's the entire family. So we do have our own scholarships. That's really the only thing that we do that's kind of quote unquote ours. Um, But we just take the money that we have at the end of the year that we raised take out you know my legal expenses or insurance or all that kind of stuff uh, that's very minimal and then divide it up among those organizations and so we've done that since 2009 and through 2021 we officially broke the half million dollar mark which is awesome so five hundred and five thousand yeah. dollars have gone to those organizations that have supported our, our families and so yeah really for the, you know, I've always kind of said beat cancer, half of it is marketing uh, half of it is just awareness and letting people know, hey, childhood cancer is a thing and it's underfunded and we need to do uh, more and then the other half is truly raising the funds and and being able to do something with that Um, and so I just hope for that impact to continue and to grow and so I took a lot of pride before COVID that every single year the amount that we were able to give out kept increasing year over year then COVID (laughs) and then, you know, the next year after COVID still rough so i'm just hoping that that kind of can can continue to grow and that you know i don't know how long it's going to take but it's going to be pretty big celebration when we hit a million bucks that'll be really fun
0: heck yeah amazing impact hope that that like this becomes to me like in in certain leadership philosophies certain leadership realms that i've been in we talk about legacy Mm. like this becomes a legacy that you're leaving you know that your kids could continue to run mm, <laughs> the uh, yeah. kids of the other families could could continue to run this could continue to have an impact until we do get to that point where there's not only equity in child cancer research mm. we can actually beat it like to me that that's the to me that's the ultimate goal like if i'm gonna paint a art of the possible let's beat this shit (laughs) let's Mm. just just get rid of it let's not have to have any family ever deal with this again for sure we know that can be that's possibly a quite long runway so the legacy that you're building the ability you have to touch people that you may never even meet is is significant that's a really big deal well, I will tell mm-hmm. you,
1: I mean, and I'm no exception to the rule of you never, you know, you don't want your kid's name to be forgotten. So, right. you know, a lot of a lot of people, I never even really thought too much about it until someone said it, um, it strikes me how you sign off on your emails from Beat Cancer uh, with Hope, Aaron, Eli's dad. Yeah. And, you know, so again, I'm no exception to, you know, wanting to make sure that, that Eli's name is not forgotten either. Um, but also just, it, it's amazing to me. And we were very, I, I was very public about Eli's journey from the very beginning. So I literally blogged. At some point, I was literally blogging every day exactly what was going on. And, uh, you know, it was mostly just for family to be able to keep up so I didn't have to keep you know calling people every day like telling yeah. them what what happened today it was like here just you know here's the blog just read it well I had it was open in public and so just more and more people just started finding it and following it from and the, all the friends that we made from around the world um, and so to this day like I will literally get some random message from someone that just says hey I was following Eli's story for all of these years and I wanted to let you know that this one thing just happened and how, you know, knowing Eli's story really impacted Mm -hmm. how I handled that situation or my relationship with my kid or, you know, whatever the Mm -hmm. case may be. And to me, those are directly answers to my prayers of why did this happen or what impact did Eli's, you know, life Mm -hmm. make? And so Mm -hmm. when someone sends me a message like that, I'm like, Oh, there's an answer. Mm -hmm. Um, because truly, you know, people were following along and, and people were maybe even growing or learning from that experience when I that, that wasn't my goal for, you know, yeah. I was just wanting to let people know what was going on. Yeah. Um, but the whole reason we found out about, you know, MSKCC was because someone else had been blogging about their child's journey and, and all of that. And I stumbled across it and I started following it and, yeah. oh, hey, maybe we need to look into this. So, um, you know, just kind of putting that out there and, and making sure that it can impact other people if, yeah if that's the right thing. And if not, then I'm just putting it out into the void and and that's fine cuz it's therapeutic for me as well to to write about it, to talk about it, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, and I think that that is such great encouragement for anybody who's going through something and they feel alone mm. and they're <clears throat> maybe looking for a community and they're thinking god does my story even matter to anybody? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. Like yeah. your story matters because you don't know who you could possibly help by mm-hmm. sharing the experience you're having. Y- you know, even what you're learning from it, who you're connecting with, resources you're using. Like, we have so much power anymore. And, like, and there's that's a double-edged sword, you know, via social media and the internet. They're, like, We have so much power to get put stuff out there. But God, then when we go to consume, it's sorting through all the things. And I think that being able to be very authentic with that be very purpose focused be very like here's here's what I'm dealing with and here's what I've learned can maybe lead someone down the path they need to be on yeah. and so whether that's dealing with <clears throat> your child being diagnosed with cancer as a parent or you know in recent situations in my life dealing with you know PTSD or anxiety or trauma or any of those things that are going on being able to talk about that stuff is so important. Mm-hmm. Being able to know that there are other people out there, you're not alone. You're not yeah. the only one, and there's there's people that will, will want to help you. you
1: yeah, know? for sure. And yeah. I think also the another thing that I kind of learned over time too is that um, it's also very easy to uh, to get caught up in who you know whose struggles or whose trauma is mm-hmm. worse. Oh yeah, which is so silly. Um, Mm -hmm. but we, you know, we get into that, especially like, you know, it's, it's kind of this touchy thing, even in the childhood cancer world where you're like, you're talking about all this stuff that, you know, has impacted your kid. And you might be talking right next to someone who their kid had it way worse or didn't quote unquote have it as bad or whatever yeah. and you, you know there's a thing in in the childhood cancer world for sure about uh, survivor's guilt sure. which is like hey my kid went through the exact same treatment that your kid did at the exact same time and my kid didn't make it oh, you know yeah. your kid did and then that parent is like why did my kid make it and aaron's kid didn't yeah. and you know there's there's all this this the stuff that can kind of get in the way and so it's important to I remember one time someone um, you know sent me this really sad thing about how their dog died and I was just like okay so that is traumatic for them Um yeah. they probably don't you know, understand or recognize, like, you know, yeah. they, they weren't sending it to just me, they were sending it to a bunch of people. And I was like, okay, so they probably didn't think about how, you know, I would be comparing my experience to their experience, but it's important <laughs> yeah. for me to understand that that is traumatic for them and mm-hmm. that they need, you know, sympathy and empathy mm-hmm. and, and care. Uh, and there's absolutely no point in trying to compare that to, you know, mm-hmm. any of the struggles or anything that, that I went through. And so, and, and people do that a lot where they are cognizant of it when they're talking to me and they're like, you know, hey, my, you know, my, my brother or my dad or my whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're like, and I know that's not the same thing. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I know. And I know it's not the same thing. Like, I'm not trying yeah. to compare. I can yeah. still, you know, you know, sympathize with you that that's a yeah. really hard thing that you're going through, too.
0: Yeah, well, and that's a you know, I'll never forget you reaching out to me when um, last, I think it was last year, Alexander had, um, that's my son, had had, uh, we had a scare with his heart. Mm. You know, we just got the news that there's something wrong with his heart and we didn't know really where that was going to go. And I was in that mindset of, I don't know anything. I can't control what's going on. I'm just going to keep working. Hmm. And so I tried. And then I was just like, and, you know, and my mind is a billion places. And I'm trying mm-hmm. to stay off of Google <laughs> to mm-hmm. your earlier point, mm-hmm. And I'm trying not to freak out. And I'm trying not to lose my mind. And you sent me a mess and I and then I just finally was like, I can't. Like I cannot. I'm not being productive. I can't be on here and I put yeah. something in Slack and you reached out and were like, I understand. Yeah. You know, I, I this is hard. Take your time. Yep. You know. And that was that was so helpful because then I'm like, Oh God, of course he understands. Mm. You know? And And then I did, I went to that place. I was like, oh God, Aaron's son had so much worse. than like, I'm just doing a little heart problem. My son's going to be fine, you know? And, you know, so I went through this whole thing in my mind and then I was like, you know what? No. And I love, my friend Denny says this all the time. He's like, trauma is so relative. Mm. You know, what I can deal with and handle and survive, someone else might not be able to. What pains me the experience I have is not going to be the same as anyone else's. So right. what's going to hurt me is not like, there's no real comparison. It's just an experience. Yeah. You know? And then
1: that's on us to show grace yeah. to other people that Absolutely. are going through something.
0: Absolutely. So I appreciate that. So, um, I've been trying to figure out how to work this in. So I'm just going to say it. You're an amazing dad joke teller. Yeah. If I can shift topics for just oh, a no. second. And you know that's one of the things I just I do I treasure I treasure a lot of things about you but I do treasure that about you because it is like it, and it is I always feel so good when I can get you mm. you know <laughs> Like There's when you'll say something pun. and I can throw a pun in there and I'm like, yes, I got here. It. Um, so, but I mean, at new book, we had a dad jokes channel mm-hmm. in the vault slack. Right. Mm-hmm. And you, your kids got you a great shirt. And I, I, I suggested, I can't even remember what it was now. Yeah. What was the shirt you got for father's day? this it year? It said,
1: uh, dad jokes are how I roll, but it's EYE. <laughs> yep. and Anytime I'm, I wear that in public, yeah. i like, undoubtedly yeah. dad's moms will point and go yeah. love your shirt
0: yeah it is yeah. so because f- i remember i saw it on instagram it was one yep. of those promotions and i tagged you, you tagged so was, me. like you were the one person immediately that came to mind I'm yep. like, this is aaron and, and my wife right bought it. Yep. <laughs> so, so i love that about you because you do like you've got all of this serious heavy stuff going on but you've also maintained this kind of very you know wickedly funny good social <laughs> presence and you tell great stories about your kids and you know all these things that you do but you didn't you stayed in the IT world but you kind of pivoted industries right so I want to mm-hmm. talk just a little bit about your leadership journey because you went from bio ag tech am I saying that right yeah, <laughs> okay. manufacturing, yeah. yeah into some other fields tell me a little bit about your fields and then just how you got to NuboCo how did that happen
1: yeah um, so I went to Iowa state, uh, and I had two degrees in MIS, um, management information systems and entrepreneurship mm-hmm. at the time it was, entrepreneurship was an actual major. It's gone back and forth from majors to minors to certificates. And it's, right. it's definitely a major now. And they're, they're really ranked very highly, um, for their entrepreneurship program. And so, uh, but I, I that's relevant because when I graduated, I had offers from, um, this, you know, this Becker Underwood was the name of the company started by, um, Jeff Becker and Roger Mm -hmm. Underwood, uh, ag manufacturing company that was just becoming global, um, but was still headquartered in Ames, Iowa and then Caterpillar. And so when I'm looking at these and Caterpillar was paying so much more, it was crazy. So do I move to Peoria, Illinois and work for Caterpillar? And I was like, I have an entrepreneurship degree and there's these two entrepreneurs here in Ames, Iowa with this awesome company. Why, why would I leave that? Um, and so I stayed, uh, Best choice ever. And so kind of grew within that company to be the, the global head of IT there. Um, and we had, you know, locations all over the world. So, again, just the, the payoff on being able to work remotely and, and those kind of things were just absolutely huge during that time. But um, basically just kind of leading an IT team there. We ended up selling the company to BASF, which is the oh, German yeah. chemical company. And so stayed on with them during the transition. Again, with that entrepreneurship, uh, you know, degree. As soon as the the IT folks from um, New Jersey, is where they were headquartered at, came in, I was like, "Hey, I just got to tell you something. Like, there's no way I can stay working for BASF. It's 110,000 <laughs> employees, eighty billion dollars in revenue, right. like massive company. I was like, but there will be people here that really want to stay. Um, I will be one that wants to go. And they're like, oh man, no one's ever been that honest before, <laughs> ever. I'm usually tiptoeing it. around, trying to figure out what to do. Right. I was like, no, I'll tell you." exactly which staff we should help place somewhere else. Cause they're going to be like me and want to go. And we should, you know, the staff that want to stay here, let's get them a job within BASF. Right. A lot of those people are still there today actually. That's so it's been awesome. Um, he's like, oh, that's fantastic. So did that for a year and worked on that transition. Uh, the transition went really, really well. Actually we were supposed to do it for two years and only took one. Um, they said, well, you can take off if you want. I said, perfect. So, um, that's when I moved out here and, mm-hmm. uh, Stephanie and I got married and then I started working for, um, a startup in Iowa city. Um, and it was a healthcare software startup. Mm -hmm. So did that for a while. Um, and then, uh, the Iowa interstate railroad is based out of Cedar Rapids. Mm -hmm. They were looking for someone to head up it. Um, and the startup was kind of winding down. So made that Mm -hmm. shift over. Mm -hmm. But when I very first came over and started working, um, for that startup, I said to all my friends in the startup world in central Iowa, who should I meet in eastern Iowa? Mm. And they all said, Mark Nolte and Eric Engelman. These are, <laughs> you know, these are <laughs> yeah. two names in eastern Iowa you need to meet. Um, and so uh, met Mark and met Eric. And one of the things that Eric was doing, this is back in 2012. We were just mm-hmm. talking about this. It was kind of there's uh, Think Iowa event happened um, where Brad Feld came and spoke in Des Moines. Yeah. And I think if you talk to a lot of leaders in the entrepreneurial uh, world, um, a lot of them will come back to that event in 2012 of like yeah. talking about startup communities and things like that and the the stuff that brad was talking about and he had written a book and all of this uh was really kind of this thing like we can do this in iowa right and so um you know eric was was Doing the new building and thinking about starting up an accelerator. And so when I met him, he's like, "Hey, I'm starting an accelerator. You want to help with that?" So um, I was actually on the board of that accelerator. I was the chairman of the board, and then I came on full time in 2017 mm-hmm. um, as a chief operating officer. Right before he took off for um, a sabbatical, <laughs> yeah. So kind of um, took took that role just while he was gone, and then he came <laughs> Eric, back.
0: Come work for my company. Oh, yeah, oh by the way, I'm, I'm gone for a year. I'm out. Good <laughs> luck.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, no, that was, that was uh, really awesome. And then in 2020, he you know, moved over to ISA Ventures, which is uh, a much bigger fund than what mm-hmm. we started with for the accelerator. Uh, so it takes all of his time. So he moved yeah. over to that. That is, um, you know, we, we partner with them for sure, but it's a completely separate entity from NuboCo. Um, and so that's when I stepped up as executive director and then Jill Wilkins took my spot as chief
0: operating officer. Yeah. Yeah. And that was such a great move. Jill's amazing. So, yeah, Yeah, so the, uh, the one thing that I, that I do also laugh about with you is your, um, aversion, which I feel like is maybe saying it too lightly to seeing people take pictures on railroad Mm -hmm. tracks. Aversion (laughs) is too light. (laughs) My
1: wife will tell you a version is too light from when we were at uh, Oktoberfest in downtown Des Moines and yeah. she saw me literally run down and chase a photographer <laughs> off the tracks with a, a beer mug in my hand spilling beer while I ran because this professional photographer was taking senior photos on downtown Des Moines on the Iowa Interstate oh, Railroad tracks. No. And uh, yeah, I couldn't stand for that. No. So got got her kicked off quite quickly. <laughs> My wife was mortified. <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, if you want to get a rise out of me, uh, you can just take any photo that you find of someone taking their picture on the railroad tracks and just tag me in that yeah. on Facebook. And yeah, yeah that'll yeah. do it.
0: And he is at H-O-R-N-I-T. <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. So <Exactly. laughs> Everywhere. Yeah. No. Well, thanks, Aaron. Do you have any final thoughts you want to share? Just as part of your story, part of your journey?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, again, don't sweat the small stuff um, was kind of the biggest takeaway from all that. I will also say that, um, you know, as part of as part of leadership, like figuring out, um, you know, what parts of my style don't work for everyone. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think I can uh, I can say this is my style. And, you know, it's very, like you said, hands off and here's what needs to get done, go do it. I do run into issues sometimes when people need more than that. And I I need Mm -hmm. to get better about recognizing that, um, especially if someone needs some sort of guidance or mentorship or that kind of thing. So I can, I can almost be too uh, laissez faire about like, Mm. here's what needs to get done, go do it. Mm -hmm. And, making sure i'm keeping in mind but what support system do they need or what structure do they need to make them successful i can't just forget about that piece like i can't just just assume that everybody is like yeah i'll take it and run because not everybody is that way or can be that way so For some of the things that you kind of laud as like cool in leadership or as as a big plus, you got to keep in mind that that can be, there can be a negative side to that, that you need to be cognizant of so that you're making sure that you're, you know, helping other people that that doesn't really work for them. Um, And so for me, I think especially just even in the last year or so, I've just been more aware of that. Like, okay, this is the way I've, this is the way I do things, but it actually could be a a debt. There could be a downside to that for other people that I need to make sure that I'm Helping lift them up too. So I've been trying to keep that in mind a lot lately.
0: Yeah, that focus just on self-awareness. Yeah. You know, and the impact that you're having. So yeah, yeah. I love it. Well, thank you oh. so much, Aaron. Thank you. Here. I appreciate this it is so great. much. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Dangerous Leader. If you liked what you heard, have comments or suggestions, please like and follow the show. Leave us a comment. I'd love your feedback. And please Help us stop childhood cancer by visiting beatcancertoday.org. You can also connect with Aaron Horn on all the social media platforms by just looking up the at sign i t. That's H-O-R-N-I-T. Now, you'll be able to find a list of the resources we discussed today to include a link to beatcancertoday.org their website where you can find the famous beat cancer t-shirts as well as some additional commentary at dangerousleader.com. You can also connect with me on Instagram, and this is a new one. It is at dr.jennsmith, S-M-I-T-H, at Dr. Jen Smith. Now, before we sign off from today's session, I have got to give credit to the amazing team here at LAS Media Network who produces and distributes this podcast from right here in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. If you want ad-free episodes of The Dangerous Leader, bonus content, and much more, then consider subscribing to LAS+. All you've got to do is go to plus to get started. And always remember to lead dangerously, be you.